My name is Ashley Sebula, and welcome to the Through Every Season podcast, where we discuss what it's like to be a Christian woman in modern day society. We will dive into the truth, trials, and tribulations that come with having a faith. You're never alone here, and we will help you walk through every season. Donna, 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 Donna. I don't even know what that was. Welcome back, Annalise. Oh my gosh. Hey, girl. It's me. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, everyone. If you guessed the guest coming back to the podcast was Annalise. You're right. You win a prize. (laughs) I don't know what you win, but you win something. You win a gold, you win a gold star. We have Annalise back on the podcast today. We're so, so excited. And I do want to announce, I, I have loved all of, of the guests that have been on the podcast. Every single one has been so valuable. What they have shared has been so fruitful. I I'm, I'm so thankful. And and I can't say that enough, but Annalise's episode about her cancer story and then her church hurt story are, is the most listened to. I almost said viewed, you can't watch this podcast. It's not a video, but listen to podcasts that have had so far so we had to have her back we have to give the people what they want so and it's clearly her it's probably not even me thank you lord i am girl i'm just so shocked by that and i'm just so just honored and it's a testament to the fact that like if you listen to the entire story in the church not letting me testify like god just you know turning that around for my good just through a podcast so Thank you, Lord. Thank you to everyone that has listened and been encouraged and empathized and sat with me in the pain in my story. Thank you so much. So the people probably want to know what what have you been up to? What what you been doing? Um, I was just telling Ashley that I am boring. <laughs> Truthfully, been still in the wilderness, kind of in this isolation season with the Lord. It's been two very long years and I am ready to be done, but God is not. And so I have just been surrendering to where he has me and accepting it and knowing that every season literally has an expiration date. So with that being said, I just usually love to like, you know, make my little coffees, post that on Instagram read the word, make a little dance improv video, put that on the gram. What else have I been doing? I've been working on my book, my testimony, my whole cancer story, just the whole shebang. I'm up to like 20,000 something words. So that has come out of me during this time. And sadly, I have not launched my podcast yet, but I'm getting there. I feel like through this endeavor, just meeting you, I have been getting my voice back. So thank you so much. So yes, that's what I've been up to. Healing. <laughs> that's not boring. Like <laughs> I don't think that's boring at all. Like you're working on like your improv dance. You're working, you're working on a book. Like you have 20,000 words. Like I probably haven't even written 20,000 words in my whole life. Um, most people probably have it. That's awesome. Like all that, that's exciting things. And then I guess semi spoiler, spoiler alert, because we didn't talk about it in your episode last time or several months ago, Mm -hmm. you are planning to do a podcast. So that's kind of a spoiler alert for everybody. That is exclusive content. (laughs) Yes. It's, oh, I thought we mentioned it. Well, I guess we didn't. So I just... Mm -mm. (laughs) <laughs> busting my own bubble oh wow look at the oh, lord wow. oh wow this the the vip the people who listen to this podcast get the vip access to the preview yes. of yours so this episode is going to be released um the last friday of the month so it's like what like is it two days before i think it's two days before christmas not christmas eve oh my gosh new year's eve, eve. Because yeah. New Year's Eve or New Year's Eve is on a Sunday and then New Year's Day is on a Monday this year. I only know I go back to work <laughs> on a Tuesday. So 
Well, I'm the unemployed, so I don't know the dates. <laughs> oh gosh. I think it's, yeah, it's two days before New Year's Eve that this will be released. So it, it's still Christmas time. Because I feel like Christmas time really does not end until like New Year's February. Day. I'm joking. Until February for some people. Like, I've I'm definitely joking, I'm joking. in college left my tree up until mid-February. At okay. You've got to savor it. Okay. <laughs> we sure did. We sure did then. But yeah, so we, we have to talk about Christmas stuff, even though this is ahead in the future. Annalise, what are your Christmas plans? What are you doing for Christmas? My Christmas plans are to spend time with my family. So we'll get into the tea in the episode. <laughs> But I live with my family and we do it up. We wake up, we open our presents Christmas day. Like we don't get to open anything early. Um, but our kitchen got a little bit flooded. I won't say a little bit, a lot of it, because it's to the point to where it's going to have to get redone, like the floor and the cabinets and stuff. So we won't be like having dinner at our house, but we're going to go to our grandmother's house and eat. So that'll be exciting because our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving got ruined because we all got sick. So we couldn't really celebrate. It was like a COVID Thanksgiving, but we didn't have COVID. It was like a little head cold flu thing. So I'm excited for Christmas to like gather to bake my pumpkin pie again that you saw on Instagram. It looks so good. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm just looking forward to spending time with family, opening gifts and eating period food <laughs> for me of course i'm married yeah. so um we live two hours away from my in-laws or justin's parents they live in um cleveland ohio yeah and then my family lives in indiana actually pretty much on the indiana illinois border so they live about five hours away so we split up holidays for Thanksgiving and um, Christmas. Mm -hmm. So this year we did Thanksgiving in Indiana. And so we will be doing Christmas in Cleveland. And then on the off year, my my family, they are big Christmas people. <laughs> so they love, love Christmas. That. <laughs> it's definitely their favorite holiday. So they come visit um ohio on the off years like in between christmas and new year's so they'll be here for for a few days my parents will be so it's kind of like two christmases but growing up i mean it was it wasn't definitely was not like that so yeah i kind of get the two christmases now <laughs> since i'm since i'm married it Aww. works out good works well, i hope out you good. guys have a wonderful christmas <laughs> thank you i hope you do too and i can't wait to see pictures of your pie because I will be having, I won't be having pumpkin pie. So I'm gonna live through your pumpkin pie. I need to send you this recipe because it's so easy. Yeah. I got it from some Me chef too. on Instagram. It's so easy. <laughs> well, yes. I can do it. You can do it. Annalise, tell me about your your drink of the day because we do drink of the day around here. Yeah. So my drink of the day is a ginger lime poppy. It's like Sprite but healthy. It's giving prebiotics <laughs> so yeah I'm really into poppy I used to love the root beer one but ginger lime has stolen my heart so ginger lime poppy today I I love a poppy I've I've had poppy on the podcast before as like my drink of the day oh I love them and I know we were talking earlier we, we were talking about poppy poppies and um I was talking about how they have the Christmas edition out it's like cranberry something and I, I can't find it anywhere. I even looked at the Whole Foods and I couldn't find it. So if you are a person who's listening and you like Poppy and you also had the Christmas edition Poppy, I guess you're a part of the chosen people because I can't find it. Everybody else online can't find it. And just know that I am jealous of you. My drink of the day. So my drink of the day is I have wine Ooh. I know fancy I'm not much I'm not much of a drinker I talked about it on my last episode my birthday episode I talked about how I thought about doing um like wine but then I'm like that's not me because I just don't drink at home now mm -hmm. I am technically drinking at home but I'm like with you so like I'm somebody oh. like if I'm in like a social setting like I'll have like a drink sometimes if 
I feel feel like it, which honestly isn't very often. So this is the social setting. So then I I can have it. But this wine is from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We got it when we went on vacation to Gatlinburg, Tennessee in March of this year. And so it is a sweet wine, which I don't normally like. Now, I used to like sweet wines when I was like 21, but now I'm a little bit older and (laughs) I like dry wines like my parents do, which I didn't think I'd ever be like my parents drinking dry wine, but alas, here I am at age 29 doing it. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. So I have, it is a peanut butter and jelly wine. What? And it actually does taste (laughs) like peanut butter and jelly. Like you drink it and you kind of get. That's incredible. I forgot. I forgot what it tasted like. So I had to take a drink so I could tell you the notes. (laughs) it's like first you get kind of like the peanut butter like you can kind of get like the peanut and then when it like settles you kind of get like the jelly or like the berry that is crazy yeah so that's what I have and um it was the last that's not boring okay (laughs) yeah for once I'm not boring um stay tuned won't be again but I'll probably be born again (laughs) but that's my drink of the day and then I also have a water. And in one of the episodes, we went on and on about Stanley cups. So I just got a Stanley cup. It's purple. It's really pretty. And um, I'm a Stanley girl now. So that is what I've evolved to. I've leveled up. I am now a Stanley girl. Okay. I am not a Stanley girl. Like I want to be a Stanley girl, but they're just so big. And I've heard the girls saying that when you put the water and the ice in it, then it's like a weight. It is kind of heavy. I haven't been putting ice in mine because um, it does stay cool for a while. And like my water comes out cold, like from my fridge, but I can see that. I can see that. But yeah, those were our drink drinks of the day today. Last time Annalise came on the podcast, of course, you talked about your testimony. You talked about your cancer story. You talked about leaving your church, which was a toxic, unhealthy environment for you. So we we definitely have a different- Wait, let me say this. Let me say this. I realized after doing the interview that I pretty much left a cult, a little Christian cult. So that was a revelation that really- helped my heart and mind after speaking. And I realized how afraid I was when I was being interviewed by you. And so now I just feel so much more confident. So I'm looking forward to sharing what I have to say today. And we love realizations. We love digesting and then realizations. So I'm glad you kind of sharing and kind of outward processing all of that kind of helped with that, with that realization. We definitely have a different topic today. I would say I would say it's more lighthearted. It's definitely more on the lighthearted side. You're like, eh, kind of. <laughs> We're going to see. <laughs> you be the judge of that. <laughs> we'll be the judge of that. But it it is. It's it's just an overall different topic. So with Christmas approaching and the holidays and everything, there's a big focus on family. Like there's a big focus on spending time with your family and being grateful for your family and the blessing of family. And it is, it's probably one of the main things about the holiday season is, is family. Of course, besides Jesus, of course, but, but, you know, family is definitely a big, a big point. So Today, we're going to talk about how family isn't always blood. And Annalise has a story about kind of how God revealed her family to her. And the family that she does have isn't blood. So we're going to talk about that story. And she's going to share all the tea, if you will. Share all the tea. So, so, of course, with everyone's stories, we like to go back to the beginning. So we're going to go back to the beginning. So we're going to start in in childhood. So, Annalise, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I grew up in Virginia Beach. So I was in Oklahoma up until about first grade. And then I moved to Virginia Beach and spent many, many years there, like my adolescence, all that stuff. 
in Oklahoma, my mom was married. So I have three other siblings. I have two sisters and a brother. And my mom's husband was physically abusive to her. And he was like, sometimes abusive to us. So yeah, that's mostly my memories. I think I remember going to school, like having a best friend named Savannah. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like remembering little things like that, but mostly just craziness, just like my mom's eyes, black and blue, blue pouring a cereal, you know, crying and like closing my ears, kind of that, like trying to make sure my mom doesn't die, but also the shock. Um, and also when I was in Oklahoma, I was sick. So I always say I was like my mom's sick child. So growing up, I had these polyps grow on my throat and I don't know to this day, like what they were called or why they appeared. Um, but I went through that for a while where I pretty much would wake up out of my sleep, unable to breathe. And then my mom would have to rush me to the hospital and like, I would have surgeries where the polyps were lasered off. And so this is all at this time, like I did not know Jesus. I was not a Christian. And so that's something that the Lord delivered me from, I guess, like healed me from. So an interesting connection to me growing up in a house with chaos and abuse and then having this attack on my throat, my voice. And so I grew up pretty quiet. I was like a quiet kid. So yeah, traumatic upbringing, nothing really exciting. Can't really tell you many birthdays, anything like that. It was just a lot. And then our grandparents had like stepped in and we moved to Virginia Beach because my mom's husband went to prison. So that was kind of like our saving grace. And what was your relationship with your grandparents like? In elementary school, I'd say, you know, they were doing what they thought was right and helpful. Um, I think they were pretty like my grandma I remember her being like super nice she introduced me to coffee when I was like seven I liked coffee um and she would bring us stuff from like the Disney store but then when we moved to Virginia Beach we're living in their house it's kind of like joining their life um they introduced us to church and it was like forced upon us like we had to sit at the table and learn the Lord's prayer I can't remember else what she made us memorize but you know we prayed we went to church um, and that was just like, yeah, really just heavy, heavily forced upon us. So that was interesting. But overall, I mean, when I was younger, she was nice. <laughs> I think things changed as I got older. And what about your grandfather? Um, I'd say like the same thing about him. You know, when I was younger, he was nice, supportive, asked me what I want to be when I grew up. Um, but I think just you know, dynamics in life, getting older, um, my family just kind of evolved. So I know that you shared that you had traumatic experiences as a child with your mom's husband at the time and being abusive and also being, you know, a victim of domestic violence, even though you were, you were a child, were there any other significant events that shaped your childhood or any childhood trauma that you experienced in addition to what you already shared? Yeah, I'd say there's so many examples, so we could be here forever, but <laughs> I feel like, unfortunately, we were one of those Black families that never talked about anything. And so growing up in chaos, you know, no one ever said like, okay, my mom's husband went to prison. We never talked about that. You know, we never talked about anything. And I remember actually in first grade telling my teacher that my, I don't know if I said like dad or mom's husband went to prison and like, I don't know if they contacted my family, but I got in trouble for that. And I realized like, you're not supposed to tell your business because, you know, but as a kid, I'm just wanting help. I'm wanting to process. Like, I'm not even realized, like, I didn't realize what I was wanting in sharing that information. But that felt like something that I needed to share. And like, I just realized when you share information, like you're bad and you get in trouble. And so I'd say I really grew up quiet, um, but I was always alert. I feel like just through the chaos I've seen and things I've experienced, like God has kind of gift me, gifted me with being aware. And that might be a little bit of PTSD, but I'm aware <laughs> to this day. I'm just aware. 
my mom went through a lot. So that obviously created issues within herself and just how she treated her children. And I would say out of all my siblings, just the four of us, I was the one that was kind of like the black sheep. Um, Growing up, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I was super ambitious. I had all these dreams, all this passion, like church really stuck with me. Um, I feel like the Lord just marked me as a kid with this desire to know him and to serve him and to go to church. And there were times when, you know, if we weren't going to church as a family, I would literally be throwing a fit (laughs) because I wanted to go. And it's not like the sermons were amazing or I talked to Jesus or I knew the Holy Spirit, but there was just something that like the Lord was just wooing me as a child. Weren't really Christians, obviously. There was just a lot of conflict with like church and my grandparents forcing it on us, my mom not wanting to go, it kind of just stuck with me. So I was the child that continued to go and was active in church growing up. Um, Also my mom, like for whatever reason, again, I was the black sheep and I felt like there was nothing I could do to make her love me or like accept me or like, or want me. So that was super traumatic, super unexpected. And like not having a dad in the picture, I grew up with this mindset, like, I don't need a man. I don't need a dad. But really, I needed a dad. A lot of my actions in life really alluded to that fact that I needed a father. And so, like I said, I had all these dreams and ambitions, and I just pretty much felt like my mom was trying to ruin my life. So I get in trouble for speaking up. I went to go to college. I stood before my church and was like, I'm going to this college. And you know, my church was like, we're going to pay for your books. And I was going to have a graduation party. And then my mom was on board, but then I ended up not being able to go to college because of finances. And so that was like really devastating watching all my friends go. I remember there being times at church, like getting dragged out of the New Year's Eve service into the new year and wanting to stay later and like, you know, spend time with the Lord. And like, my mom is dragging me out of church, like literally mad. In high school, I was just like super depressed, even though like I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted um, family and just all these things. I wanted somebody to rescue me, um, no matter how many church people knew my business or like whatever was going on. Like there was never like this savior figure that ever appeared. And so I remember telling one of my teachers that I was like self-harming. And again, when you're reaching out and you're saying things that you don't realize how big you're, how, how big what you're saying is and how that can affect everything. Um, my teacher, I had to be like 16. I was like super close to my teacher. She was really cool. She dated a black man. She was a white lady. I felt like she was, she could just engage with black people. And so I was connected to her and um, I saw her as a friend, even though she was my teacher. Um, And so basically that kind of blew up because my email I sent got back to my family. It's like my 16th birthday party weekend, literally. And I remember this day, Um, like it was yesterday getting all these missed calls on my phone from my mom and then her leaving me a voicemail saying "Um, you're crazy I'm not and she told me to kill myself on the voicemail and I remember like forwarding that to my grandparents you know but even that as dramatic as that someone saying that to their child like there was never like this rescue so it was just years and years and years of this toxic mom who's literally speaking death over her child and this terrifying being, um, even though I was ambitious, I had my little giftings, just like desires and friends. I had friends in school. Um, I did poetry contests and would win and stuff like that. Um, you know, there was this fear on the inside of my mother. Like I was petrified of her, um, though she like never tried to kill me or anything like that. She just didn't love me. And I never understood why. And so that probably shaped me as an individual. That that was really my childhood, just a a mom who hated me, siblings who I was not close to in the midst of all that because she was treating them nicer and literally seeing no way out. And like when my mom's husband went to prison, when we moved to Virginia, she had met another guy like literally when I was in second grade. So I left Oklahoma in first grade. Entering second grade, she met a man who was around from me being in second grade, I think up until the age of 25. And so she just kind of like, you know, put him over her kids and he moved in with us and 
they never got married and, you know, just all kinds of dysfunction. And so um, I remember in high school too, I'm just all over the place, sorry, (laughs) track with me people. But in high school, um, I, you know, I was like looking for love, dating guys, just doing stuff I shouldn't be doing um, because I, my mom didn't teach me anything. She never talked about sex, like anything like that. So I was just a wild child and I had like no fear. Like when my mom was at work, I'd be meeting up with a guy that I didn't even know. Just like kind of that when you're in trauma, you just continue to hurt yourself because that's all you know is hurt. And so I was that person who kind of got a thrill out of doing crazy things. And I remember this one time I was interning at Geico through my marketing class in high school. And I had became close friends with this girl at my job who was like a sister to me. She was older. She had a son and she would always kind of rescue me from my crazy home environment. Knowing this girl from Geico, we were cool. And I remember one time she was at my house and my mom's boyfriend had come in my room and he tried to assume that her and I were dating. The most outlandish thing was not in my mind at all. And I'm not even kidding. Like she was a mother. Like I was not into women. I was clearly doing stuff with guys that nobody knew about. But then that lie was like spoken over me. Um, And my family like used that against me and they began to call me gay literally out of nowhere. So um, yeah, you want to talk about crazy? (laughs) Just and like, there are times when my mom's boyfriend, I think there was a couple times when they got into like little tussles where he would like throw things or like hit her just a couple times. Um, and I remember one time my mom, he was arguing with my siblings and it turned into this big thing. I'd always be somewhere praying and telling my siblings, like, if you shut up, he'll stop talking to you. But you know, they would just engage and go on. I will say he was nice to me and he kind of like, he respected me. Because I tried to respect my mom and do what she wanted, not to say I was this perfect child. Clearly, I wasn't carrying on kind of like my siblings in the manner of respect. And so he was fighting with them, just arguing and stuff. And I think it kind of turned into a tussle. And I remember him bumping my mom into a coffee table and her something got gouged and it was just blood everywhere. And that was crazy. Being in high school, your mom's got to be rushed to the hospital. And then you got to go stay at your grandparents' house and go to school the next day like nothing happened. So that was just kind of my world was just a bunch of trauma, which is so crazy looking back because I never even knew the word trauma until probably some years ago. (laughs) Do you think that your mom was jealous of you and that kind of helped fuel her behavior and her emotions towards you? That's so crazy. I never thought about that. Um. That could very well be a thing. I think I think later in life, the only thing I could equate her behavior to was like it probably has something to do with my dad. Like I feel like when parents hate the father or the mother of their child, they treat the child as though it's that person. So I think maybe that's what it was too. What brought you away from your biological family in the situation that you were in in Virginia Beach? Honestly and truly, I had to be like, I don't know if it was like 18, 19, or even 20. Lord help my memory. But I do remember being a young adult, not being able to go off to college, going to community college and hating that, but still I have this desire to become a dancer and getting into a a program. But then I still couldn't do that because everything financially was attached to my mother. So again, you're ruining my life like a freaky Friday, (laughs) that quote. Um, So we moved around a lot. My mom got on her own, but then she wasn't like super stable because she's a single parent. She got four kids. Life is just hard. She doesn't have like a career. Um, So we we moved a lot from like house to apartment to house to whatever. Um, And then my mom's boyfriend lived with us. Basically, he lived with us in an apartment. We were falling behind on the rent. And basically my mom was like, we might move, but I didn't know the rent was falling behind. So during this time, I'm going to church, I'm church hopping, I'm going to people's small groups and I'm so Jesus, you know, centered, literally. Even though with all the trauma and like just stuff that I was doing or whatever, I still made Jesus the center as much as I could. 
have that knowledge of him being the center of my life. Um, and so I'm church hopping and all this stuff. And I was going to this little church and there was like this prophetic word that came about literally where this guy was like, somebody's three and a half months behind on the rent. And I knew that we were moving and I did not want to move. And I was praying to God that we would not move. And um, I was believing for God to come through. With that being said, I remember being at this little church and reacting and realizing like, this must be about me because nobody else is reacting. So I reacted. And of course, I thought the church was going to pay the rent. I had to call the leasing office to find out how behind we were. And it was three and a half months. It was literally that. The church did not pay our rent. We ended up losing our little apartment. And I moved in with my grandparents and that was just chaotic. My sister had had a baby early on in moving in. You know, she's a new mother. We're in chaos. We're all sharing a little room. I think my mom was there too for a little bit. And then she ended up going to stay with her boyfriend who kind of was the reason why we lost our little apartment or whatever. So she leaves. She got a little secure spot. We're there. Our grandparents were like, you need to find a job. And just, you know, like old people <laughs> stressing us out more than we needed to be in the midst of something that we had no control over because we don't have careers. We didn't have stable income, you know, just trauma, trauma, trauma. My sister ended up going to stay with her baby daddy at the time. And then I'm there. My sister Courtney was there. And I don't remember, I think maybe my sister Courtney went to the military or the reserves or something like that. But I ended up being, I think like the last one there. And I remember one day just enough was enough. You know, my grandparents are wilding. They're like, get out. And it's like, we don't have anywhere to go. And it's just so toxic, stressful, unfortunate, and uh, just crazy. So one day I was going to all these little churches, like I said, and I knew this girl from this church and her name was Shanine. So I was like, Shanine, I'm leaving. I packed up all my stuff. Shanine said, you can stay at my house for two days. So I stayed at her house for two days. And as crazy as this sounds, I was not afraid because I had two days at her house and then God provided another house that I, I stayed at this girl's house that went to high school with me. But then I realized we went to the same little church. So we became friends and I stayed with her family for like a few months. And my whole thing was like, I'm going to college, but I didn't know how because of the finances and being like an independent student, all this stuff. And um, so, yeah, I stayed with that family, was church hopping, trying to figure out my life. And they were generous and they were friendly. The atmosphere just got a little funky. And so I, they had like a family meeting one day and they literally sat me down and they told me, you're using God, you're using God. And at the time I had never heard that before. I, to this day, don't know what that means because we need God. So <laughs> it was crazy. Cause like the grandma was saying it, my, the friend at the time, her grandma was a preacher. So she's telling me they're like this, their whole family was like, you're using God. Like what's your plan? If you have to get out, like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And so I just remember after that little meeting, I was just done. So I literally took a whole bottle of ibuprofen. I was like, I'm done. I'm still here. So I did go to the hospital with a friend and, um, you know, I didn't have my stomach pumped or anything like that, but the Lord literally did not let me kill myself is what I'm trying to say. So after that, there was tension in the little, the house that I was at with the girl that went to high school with me. So I ended up moving somewhere else for like a month. And this girl went to church with me at this other church. Cause again, I'm church hopping. And so I stayed with this girl that went to the boys and girls club with me in like middle school, Sierra church. I'm, you know, kind of helping her in her faith and in her journey, actually, during that time, her family was going through their own stuff. So it just wasn't forever. So then I met this girl at a Bible study one time and I got her phone number and she was willing to like pray for me. So I would just like call her and be like, girl, I need prayer for this. I need prayer for that. Like I just, who knows? I probably sounded crazy back then. And um, eventually her family let me stay with them for a few months. I stayed there. They didn't charge me any money. I had some of the best meals ever. 
Um, she was in college uh, for dance and her parents put me in a dance class actually. I actually got to do a little performance with her in her program, which is literally iconic. I got to do a little dance performance. And from her house, I ended up working it out. I didn't work it out, the Lord worked it out, but I was able to go to the dance program. So from her house, I moved into college. So just from leaving my family one random day to house hopping, but it all led me to college. And then when I went to college, I think I just kind of interact interacted with my grandma a bit. I go on like breaks sometimes to her house or I go to stay with other people, you know, travel basically. Um, but that was really it. I don't, th- I don't think I really talked to my mom as much. Oh, maybe I did call her like once a week in college. And I realized she did not really want to talk to me. The conversations would be like 30 seconds. Like, hey, mom, how you doing? She wouldn't really be saying much. So I'd be like, all right. But I think it was maybe after college that I kind of just cut everyone for a while. Wow. God literally like took people from like your past and, and kind of the present and like lined them all up and kind of just like led you to like each person <laughs> and like each house until you finally got to college, which is what you wanted. Is what I wanted, girl. I I got my little dream. <laughs> you danced your way there. Literally. I danced my way. <laughs> you danced your way there, which is absolutely, absolutely fantastic. So um, did you go to college four years? Did you do a four-year program? Um, because I went to community college, I had like some credits, so I was able to transfer. So I, I was in college for about three years. All right. So you were 25 years old. You just graduated. What was your next move? Well, my plan was to go into the industry and I had did an internship with someone from Alvin Ailey and I had kind of built my little resume and I wanted to be a dancer. I was, I studied modern dance. I was like so fit. My body was literally the dance bod of your dreams. <laughs> um, so that was my plan. But then, you know, as in the the last episode where I told you I went to college and then I got introduced to that ministry. And so, yeah, my plan was to dance. I didn't really have any big connections and the connections that I had got through college, they weren't really becoming anything and there was like really no opportunities. Yeah, that didn't really go as planned. And then I end up in a ministry. Yeah. (laughs) It was a cult. So what brought me to Georgia was I had an aunt who lived here. And so my plan was to go and like live with her for a bit and like figure out my life. At the same time, I was dating this woman. So that word curse that was spoken over me years ago by my family, like I just accepted it. You know, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm supposed to be with a woman. And so I started dating this woman. We dated for about like three years up until 2016. And I'm in Georgia. She's in Georgia. We're living this lifestyle together that I I was a very much a closet um, gay woman. Basically, I was it was in the closet. It was ashamed. I knew it was wrong. Yeah, I just hit it. So I was living that lifestyle. I was trying to be a dancer. I'm living with my aunt. Of course, again, that black culture mentality. You need a job with 40 hours a week. You need a 401k. <laughs> Like all those things they say that you need to be successful. Well, doors just weren't opening. And then when I was in college, I had did this internship in New York that on my way of stopping in Georgia, staying with my aunt, I got introduced to the house of prayer. So I met this girl from the house of prayer. She prayed for me. So I had her, her Facebook. So when I finished college and the light is not at the end of the tunnel. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And like, da, 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 da. I reach out to her for prayer. So she had prayed with me and felt from the Lord to be my friend. And to this day, we are still friends. She, if anything, is not like the fruit of that ministry in itself. If you listen to the last episode. Um, so I reach out to her. She encourages me. And obviously she's super involved in the ministry. And so I, you know, I always told her I was hanging out with my friend and then she realized 
what kind of friend is that? And I'm like, oh, it's my girlfriend, da, da, da. And so she's not the reason I broke up. Like the Lord pretty much just took that taste out of my mouth. He just delivered me from that lifestyle. And I would always break up with my girlfriend, go back, break up, go back. And basically one day it was just finally like, there was no going back. So in 2016, I'm foot in the ministry, starting to attend all these services, young adult stuff, community groups, cookouts, whatever, you know, that fork in the road. So I I left all dreams, desires, passions, you know, sinful living became, I'm not saying I'm perfect, definitely not, but was on the path of Jesus. And so that pretty much is how I got from college to Georgia into that ministry right after. And then it was right after that, that I literally got sick. (laughs) The story behind meeting my family is I had pretty much gone full throttle into the ministry. I did an internship. Uh, It was a season after my, one of my friends was murdered. And so I was just in a really not so good place. I had been trying to do the internship. It had always cost and then it was free. So one of the leaders was like, hey, you should do the internship. So I did that. And then after the internship, so side note, let's rewind. So I was living with my aunt and things were not working out. I went from the guest bedroom. You can't tell me this is not God. I went from the guest bedroom to the couch to the kids' playroom floor. That much demoted. And then, okay, so this is what happened. The girl that had befriended me, like I said, we're still friends today. She hears the Lord anytime she's given me any prophetic words. And I don't really listen to a lot of people today. Her words have always been confirmed and true. And she had told me on the phone, like, you're going to be moving soon. And literally... The atmosphere in my aunt's house was already changing. And three days later, my aunt literally said, you have 30 days. And I I remember crying outside on the sidewalk being like, I don't know where I'm gonna go because I didn't know anyone else in Georgia. Get immersed in the house of prayer. Like I said, when my friends had passed, I did the internship. This is not long after. And um, I lived in the IHOP housing. So I moved from my aunt's house to the IHOP housing immediately, basically. Did not go to a homeless shelter, was not on the streets. IHOP had missional housing for interns and missionaries. So I'm in there just because my life circumstances, I was able to come up with the rent money to stay there and I'm immersed in there. So the girl that had actually been murdered, I was living with her for a season and then did the internship. And then in my internship, they were saying that they were, you know, the housing was pretty much going to be done away with. And so I needed a place to live and talk about stress. <laughs> you're in a season where you're so-called laying everything down and you're seeking the Lord for three months. And, you know, so I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I only know what I've always done, which is trust God. And he's never failed me. And so in my internship, there was this lady who kind of heard about what, you know, was going on with me. So mind you, in my internship, sickness was manifesting. All of that, if you hear the first story, (laughs) all of that's going crazy. Friend was murdered. I need a place to live. So this lady in my internship was offering me the chance to move to Kansas to like, she had a place and a job. And so I was willing to do that, but I didn't really want to do that. And I was like, oh, I can go to the house of prayer in Kansas City. (laughs) Um, But she had actually lived like an hour from there. And so I was willing to do that. After my internship, I was in the missional housing housing by myself. And, you know, my internship ended in November of 2018 or 2017, sorry. And missionaries are coming in and out, you know, going into the holidays. So I'm kind of like by myself, just in this incubator isolation, don't know what's going to happen. I thought I was going to go to grad school in London. I tried to apply to grad school in London for this dance program. And God was like, I don't want you out of my sight. And I'm thinking, God, you're everywhere. What you mean? (laughs) I go anywhere you can see me, but I think it was more of that like metaphorical, like, I want you with me. You're not going to go far out there 
you know what I mean? To kind of be away from me. So um, it was like a maturity thing. The house that I was in was falling apart. The little missional housing was like leaking. You know, I'm pacing the floor. I'm praying. I'm not really eating during that time because I ain't got no money. <laughs> and and I remember I packed the lady who had offered me to stay with her was like, I'm going to get the ticket. She's kind of like rushing me to make the decision, but I had no peace. And so my friend who told me that I was moving out of my aunt's house, she put me in a hotel. She was like, girl, I don't want you to go. Like, just that's crazy. I had packed up all my stuff, moved into a hotel for a week. I'm in a hotel for a week. I ain't never lived in a hotel. So I'm in there for a week. I don't have any money. I barely have any snacks. I'm crying out to God, literally in the bed crying. One of the days in the hotel, there was an ant infestation in my room. I had to switch rooms. I mean, it was just totally humiliating. It wasn't a bad hotel, but it was just like the circumstances were just embarrassing. Just, you know, um, and I remember I had meetings with some of the leaders who were like, oh, you don't have money and your friends are taking care of you. And just, you know, all this judgment uh, speaking into my circumstances that they weren't trying to figure out. You know, one of the leaders was like, if you're hungry, I'll take money out of my pockets and feed you. And, you know, that leader never gave me a dollar for anything. Um, so it was just a crucial time because I know what I left behind. I was dating somebody who wanted to marry me, who asked me, where do you want to live? You know, and I just was like, my life doesn't work that way. I can't do that. So the decline was real. So I'm in the hotel. And then one of this, one of the leaders who was pretty friendly towards me, reached out to me on Slack and he was like, hey, you need to call this lady. So I had also been calling a bunch of church people who would like house missionaries, but they were all like, what are you going to do? And I was thinking I was going to go overseas. This is a family like Christy. She's married. She already had two kids. And so when I moved in, I was their tenant. And I didn't really know what to expect I mean, I was terrified, you know, because I pretty much was on the run, moving, house hopping, all that stuff, just trauma. I was a completely different person then when I moved in. I'm pretty sure they had an intern staying with them from the ministry at the time that I was at the House of Prayer. It's called Gate City House of Prayer. And so I remember asking her one day, like, hey, would you be interested in being my spiritual mother? And I think she outright was like, I don't think she said no. I don't know if she said I have to pray about it, but her response was not yes. So I remember just feeling like awkward asking. I don't even know where that came from. I've never asked someone to be my spiritual mother. It just kind of came out of me. And so from there, you know, I just let that go and kind of forgot all about it. One day we were at church because I was a part of the house of prayer and they were a part of a church that the house of prayer merged with and became one entity. I was at the altar and I just remember Christy came. I mean, I, I had my eyes closed on my knees. I'm praying and somebody had embraced me and she said, hey, it's Christy. And she said, the Lord told me to be your mom. And I've just never had anybody say that to me ever. And I remember just being so shocked. That was July 15th, 2018. I moved into their house February, 2018. So from February to July, she felt from the Lord to be my mom. And I'll never forget that day because clearly um, moving in in February, I was past the time of moving out. <laughs> there, There's just so much grace. I don't even know how to explain it. It was just so, so clearly the Lord, because I just don't know anybody that houses somebody like I've been housed. <laughs> so that day she said that the Lord told her to be my mom. I remember we went out to dinner, we went to Willie's and I'm just like, what does that mean? Am I supposed to call you mom? Cause I didn't call anyone mom, not even my mom, mom, you know, I didn't talk to my mom. She was like, yeah. And I was so scared. I remember we like watched TV together, probably like the 100 or something. Cause that was my show back then. <laughs> but I just remember like, before I went to bed, I wanted to say like, good night, mom. But it just was like, I struggled to get it off my tongue. And then I finally just said it to say it, but I didn't feel it. You know, I go back and forth between calling her Christy and mom because it just, 
I it just was crazy like it just felt unreal and that's that's such a sweet a sweet story and just such a sweet sentiment that you had such a tumultuous relationship with your biological mother and now like god essentially gifted you like this is going to be your spiritual mother like this is going to be somebody who is going to be a true protector of you like a mother is supposed to be obviously you've talked about your your spiritual mother or or your mom do you have any other siblings or any other people in your life that you've gained from having this spiritual family of yours so yeah so you know even though I asked her to be my spiritual mother I think she really felt from God to be my mom so like I don't even call her spiritual mom like it's literally mom so that was a gift within itself because that's not what I expected. That's like exceedingly and abundantly beyond <laughs> what I asked for. Christy's married. She has a husband and two children who, you know, their daughter was 14 when I moved in and their son, I don't know, he had to be like seven or eight, super young. So yeah, I gained siblings. <laughs> oh, which that's awesome. Yes. Wait, let me clarify this because it's a unique situation. So I gained a mom, but I did not gain a father. And I'm sure people, if you're already listening, you're probably like, where is this going? (laughs) You know, I didn't understand at the time. Like, you know, I felt like the package was like incomplete, you know, just recognizing people's capacities. Of course. The Lord has truly been my father. And Mm -hmm. I can say that without a shadow of a doubt, like the Bible says, when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. And Mm -hmm. I have really experienced that in a way that maybe most people haven't. Aw. Now that, that's such a great portion to include in your story, especially the sentiment behind that, like, like, yes, everybody on earth obviously came in the same way you you have a mother and a father in terms of the people that brought you into the world physically but everybody's father is god he mm-hmm. is our ultimate parent yeah which i think is yeah really really awesome for you to include and definitely touch on in your story yeah i think you know what i've realized is you know, depending on the relationship with your father is kind of like how you relate to God. So if Mm -hmm. your daddy is in your life, then you might not really cling to God in that way that an orphan might or, you know, someone who's fatherless might. And so that's been unique for me. Yeah, no, no, that's really true too. And I've never, I never thought about it like that either, that, you know, our relationship or lack of relationship with our, I guess you can call them earth parents for <laughs> lack of a better term right now, um, definitely can mimic our relationship with God and kind of set the scene for how we interact or don't interact, you know, yeah, with, with God in our, in our relationship with them. So I think that you've shared this before, but the family essentially that that you adopted or that you became adopted into um they're they're a white family correct oh yes i forgot all about that girl (laughs) so what's it like being in a blended family oh man it is extremely different (laughs) i will say like christy and i are besties and i have so much respect for her just because you know when i came in let me tell you i came in literally kind of like those tv shows when the child has been through so much trauma like there are times in the beginning when I was just like I'm not doing this I would leave on the weekend and just not be there and not tell her where I was going and you know go back to my old life and and just kind of still do crazy things and be telling her the next morning like I did all this last night you know and she you know she never she just always met me with love, which is something that I was not used to at all. Cause I was just used to people rejecting me, abandoning me, neglecting me, talking down to me, just not having a capacity for me. But I don't think there's anything that I've ever said to her that has nothing ever scared her away. So 
she's not like any white woman that I've met. (laughs) Oh gosh. No, no, I, (laughs) I love that. And so before, before you, you know, became integrated in, into your family, what was your experience like with other people who were white? Did you have, did you grow up around a, a lot of people who were white or were your surroundings and like your childhood, a lot of people who look like you, for example? I went to a black church growing up. I had black friends, but I also had white best friends. That was so interesting. But my mom, I think I only got to stay at like one white girl's house growing up, but I had another white friend her name was Samantha Barton I'll never forget we were besties but her mom was like a smoker and I had mild asthma so my mom was like you're not going over there (laughs) so I had white friends but I don't think I ever got to kind of go you know just like beyond that to experience their world per se and so coming from coming from a black family and I know you kind of talked about like some culture with um with American black families a little bit in your story, but do you notice that there's like a big like culture shift, like between like white and black families from your point of view, of course. I think there's a lot of different things. Like there's a lot of different things. I mean, you know, just like seasoning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I had to start with seasoning. I think just humor, like how we communicate and like, for example, this is so funny. So me and my mom currently are watching the crown and even though this is England, just kind of me making little jokes. Like I see where y'all get that. Like we don't divulge things from that's from y'all people over there. (laughs) And so, which is interesting because you would think that I would be extremely closed off with how I grew up yet in spite of how I grew up, God has made me a very vulnerable individual. And so I'm not afraid to say this or that or feel feel this or that. And so I would say just like communication is different. Humor is different. Just personality, like TV shows. And now don't get me wrong. I was in an evangelical white church, but I wouldn't say that they are evangelical people. So I know that you've you've talked a lot about the impact that, you know, your mom has had on you and how, you know, you've changed as a person since moving in with them and becoming integrated into your family. Um, Do you have any other stories about how they've impacted your life aside from what you've shared already? Again, I've always just been like super close to my mom. You know, we've had our hard times. Let me, let me just tell you this, like, I didn't move into a fairy tale story. My life has never been a fairy tale and things have never been easy. Um, you know, they have their struggles that I've been immersed into and and just learning how to love them, you know, despite their shortcomings and stuff like that has been really humbling. And when things get hard, just not running away like I used to seven years ago, <laughs> repenting and forgiving and you know, just loving, even when I don't feel like loving. And yeah, that's, that's been, been the biggest thing because I'm someone who cut my family like cold turkey. They think I'm the coldest person in the world, but it's really just boundaries and safety and the protection of the Lord for me to not engage with them because they're not believers and safe. So, you know, and I'll always love Christy because she, you know, when I had my, when I was dying, she was there for me. She bathed me and dressed me. and It was almost like reverting back to a child. I remember one time I had this joke. I was like, mom, if I ever fall in the shower, would you come and get me? Because <laughs> we had never had anything like that. And so you, you know, you just, you don't expect to nearly die but then she was there. She was propping up like all my pillows and giving me my medication and taking me to appointments and just came to the hospital and just all the things just there for the the hardest time of my life. You know, I'll just even say this. This was a, a crazy thing. 
because there are times I can truthfully say this when I have compared like how my life has been harder than theirs. And that's been something that's hard for me to understand why, but I'm not God. And it doesn't matter why, right? <laughs> we all have our own measure of faith and our own journeys. And so I may never understand theirs, but I do think that when you are the one who has had to go through harder things, you feel kind of like an outsider, even though you're accepted. And there was a time after my hysterectomy, I'm in my mom's shower and I've got the staples down my stomach and, you know, it's, it's a process. And I remember the news of her getting a hysterectomy. Now, no shade to her hysterectomy. It was her experience, but it was a lot different than my experience. It wasn't a near death experience. And her surgery was like a, it, one day and then she's out. And I remember just because I was already broke down from the trial that happened to me and what was going on with the church and all that. I remember just wailing in her shower about that because I was upset that my life was harder than theirs. And so that's something that I would say that's something that pops up, but I have to like not let it affect how I love them, you know, because they're not God. They're not pulling the strings. <laughs> and yeah, so that's been interesting, but I'd say overall, I'm very blessed and thankful for their sacrifices, their provision, their love that they welcomed me in and allowed me to have an experience that I never thought I would get. Mm -hmm. You know, I got this at the age of 27. Like people don't get that at 27. You don't get a family at 27, usually. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, like I'm super blessed and it was very unconventional but nonetheless, it was God. Mm -hmm. And this experience has changed me in so many ways and just exposed, you know, just parts of me. But I know that I'm not the same person who left college, who was dating a woman. And, you know, because of Christie's prayers, like I now desire a husband and I'm ready to get married. And I feel like this experience has prepared me <laughs> for marriage in a way that I didn't even know was possible. That's really awesome to touch on too. And I feel like with your story, especially with finding your family, you know, God provides us with what we need for whatever season we're in our life. And he knew that for whatever reason in this season in your life and, you know, through your cancer story and everything, a mom was what you needed. A family was what you needed at that time. And he provided that for you. And I think that that's just so amazing and so awesome and an awesome testimony to that, you know, God will provide for us. And the crazy part is, obviously, when I moved in in 2018, I didn't know there was going to be cancer in 2021. If I was by myself in that housing, I would be dead because I would not have made it to the ER. Mm -hmm. That's very true. A miracle and and just just absolutely incredible. And I know you you've shared that you know you're you're so grateful and, and you're so thankful for them and the impact that they've had on you, but could you share some about, you know, the impact that you've had on them from entering their family? I believe my faith is an impact to them and they've seen me suffer sometimes well, <laughs> but in every season, my, I cling to faith that is, that's unchanging about me and I'm real and authentic and I think that's a bit like in your face to some people and some people can't handle that and they're just not like that. But I believe they appreciate that. Like, you'll know how I'm feeling. You'll see it. You'll know. I'm not afraid to tell you. <laughs> and so I think just my witness, I believe I am a bit of a light here. I'm not saying I'm the light. <laughs> but I, yeah, I believe that God has used me to provoke them to love each other, love God. And their daughter, she was 14 when I moved in. And now she's following Jesus and immersed in church and finding herself in the Lord. You know, I've just seen the effects of some of my prayers here. And so I think the biggest thing is my faith because though I came in a mess, I still have faith. And though I've been through some messes, I still have faith. And that's something 
that is unwavering. So what is your favorite Christmas tradition with your family? My favorite tradition is we start early around here. So my birthday's in November. And usually what we do is decorate the week of my birthday for Christmas. Also, we wear the same pajamas. We, my mom likes to get, despite our age differences being extreme, she likes to get us, the kids, similar stocking stuff or gifts. <laughs> and it's so cute and just fun to open. <laughs> Aww. Oh, I love that. That sounds so cozy and fun, wearing matching pajamas, having stocking stuffers. And it's okay if you decorate early November. Some people are like decorate like as soon as the clock strikes like midnight on (laughs) November 1st. And some people are after Thanksgiving or like right before Christmas. That's okay. You know, thank you for once again being vulnerable and and coming on the podcast and just sharing about your life and, and sharing your story and also giving people hope too that, you know, family doesn't always have to be blood and, you know, God will lead you to the people that are meant to be in your life. Yes. You know, and um, Psalm 68, eight says God, well, the beginning of it says God places the lonely in families. And I've seen that it is possible if you are in a family that's difficult, you can still find family. Like God can place you in a family outside of that. Because what I've had to accept and realize is your biological family may never change. And that is something that you can't control. And it's not for you to fix because that becomes really burdensome in our journeys with the Lord. We think we become the savior of our families and it's just not reality. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't mean that God can't Put your life back together in an unconventional way by placing you in a family that you may have never known existed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful. And again, just just thank you for coming on the podcast. You're always welcome here. We love you here. So, I love it here. We love you. I feel <laughs> I'm so grateful, girl. I honestly feel like from that first interview to this one now, like as you can see. I sound different. I feel different. And I'm just so grateful that you are impacting people with your podcast and Aww, you thank are you. giving, <laughs> you know, other people space to come and share. So thank you so much. It's an honor. Well, thank well, thank you. So of course, as I already said, this episode is going to come out on the last Friday of December. And then in January, hopefully we will have another guest which you're not going to see this one coming. I, I I will say that, that we're going to talk about a topic that you probably are not expecting and my lips are sealed. Of course, as always, you're welcome to explore your faith here. Jesus always welcomes you home and so will I, and we will see you in 2024. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being here. You can listen to the Through Every Season podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Feel free to follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram, and the handles are mentioned in the description of the podcast. Welcome to my family. Thanks for being here.